Hi there, and welcome to the Cambridge Stronger podcast, where culture counts and values matter most. I'm your host, Amy Weber. And joining us today is Zach Hager, Managing Partner at the Professional Alliance. Thank you so much for joining me today, Zach. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's awesome. I think our listeners are going to learn a lot from you today. Um, you represent a really exciting particular generation of new ideas and innovation that should add a lot of value to anybody out there who's either thinking about uh, coming into our business or more importantly, maybe reinventing the business, which is what I feel like you and, and your partner managed to do with the old school model. Um, so it's uh, this is one of my more exciting podcasts that I'm looking forward to giving our listeners. So let's start by asking you to share with our listeners your journey. Tell them and I tell them how you got where you are today and a little bit about your business. I believe you started maybe in physics, which is always fascinating. So many of the financial professionals that Cambridge manages to align with, and I believe are representative of the independent space, um, are by accident in some ways. So um, Mm -hmm. share with us, tell us your story. Yeah. So physics, I mean, I, you know, I'm pretty curious guy and, and the math and the sciences were always, I think my strongest areas, you know, very detail oriented, you know, numbers come relatively easy. Um, so, you know, I love physics, everything about it, you know, the, I think kind of the open-ended nature of it and, and all of that. And I think where maybe the bigger scheme of things, um, kind of derailed maybe what I had in my mind as the path was just, you know, after I graduated, then the decision came up about like, okay, where am I going? Is this, you know, you, you almost have to go get some sort of um, graduate or PhD, you know, level degree in order to, to do a whole lot. Um, and I had talked and kind of interviewed and shadowed a few kids who were doing PhD programs and uh, the program itself just wasn't particularly appealing. It was a very long time in terms of the, um, not the class commitment, but more the, you know, you have to do a thesis and bring some original research to, to the table. And and the two kids that I was like shadowing have been doing it for like six or seven years. And that, you know, at that point, it wasn't really, that wasn't necessarily an attractive proposition. So then it became time to kind of pivot and figure out, you know, what the next steps were. Um, you know, and naturally the numbers, I tried to do the accounting thing, but I didn't have an accounting, you know, degree. And apparently, you know, that's super important when it comes to actually doing accounting. So um, I ended up, you know, getting like a temp job filing paper at like an independent broker dealer um, in Massachusetts and didn't really have a clue outside of, you know, I knew, you know, E-Trade and Schwab in terms of, you know, buying and selling stocks and bonds and all this, but not really any idea of the financial services world kind of on a more macro scale. Um, So I had the opportunity to kind of learn and and they were a small firm that credit to them, you know, really gave me an opportunity where I was kind of very interested and, Hey, I'll go out and get licenses and do all this. And um, you know, they were really able to support me. I think kind of coming in uh, being part of a home office, learning the, the operations, type of stuff and and supporting advisors and then pivoting to doing more compliance and supervision focused stuff. And then from there, it just kind of, uh, it was a nice mix of like the, the numbers and the analytical stuff was there. 
you were still dealing with with people where you know I, I tend to think I can be like a little shy I mean if you, when you look at me and like my partner Chris like Chris Brown will be someone who he'll talk to the wall and he'll talk to the wall for 20 minutes and and like that is I think an incredibly um strong and valuable asset he brings to the table and, and I'm not so much like that um but it was nice you know kind of having both both sides where you know you're working at the firm and then also interacting with the advisors so then it was just kind of you know kind of climbing the ladder and figuring out you know where I think I wanted to go kind of in that track um and then you know worked at another firm a few years later you know met Chris um there were a few things that happened there I think internally restructuring and, and all of that and um, we kind of lost the ability to work with the advisors, I think, the hands-on way that we had wanted to. And, and that was the biggest struggle we had. So then naturally, you know, we tried to figure out if there was a way that we could do something kind of on our own. Um, and that's when we had the opportunity, uh, it, you know, meeting Doug and being able to take over the professional alliance in terms of, again, it gave us that, you know, we're working with Cambridge and interfacing on the ops and compliance side but then really getting to work with financial professionals uh and just building those relationships just you know like working with them helping them figure out what they wanted to do and um it's been it's been a fun journey i feel like i'm fortunate enough to have found it because i don't know that i would have been particularly happy kind of uh chasing a phd program and and that going on forever but um this has been it's been a wild ride and it's crazy to look back on you know how things have gone, but it's been, um, incredibly rewarding and, and, you know, we're, we're super stoked about it. It's awesome. So, uh, backing up and clarifying a little bit for a second, um, uh, for our listeners in particular, because I know the story and love it. Um, so you and your partner, uh, my words, not yours grew up in our industry in my role, right. And in, in a company like Cambridge and the back office term that you used, and then somehow lit that fire of innovation so that you knew that you wanted to branch out and build your own organization. And you uh, connected with one of Cambridge's enterprise leaders and took over as the next generation of leaders within his organization. You bought the business from him. So um, that, was, that was Doug that you talked about, which is awesome. And it's been really cool to watch from our perspective too, but I'm going to ask you to follow up a little bit on like there had to be a few moments of wow what are we really doing do we know what we're getting into there's risk right one of the big things I often have to encourage people is that um, most successes take the you, you got to take some risks there's an iron stomach that comes along nothing wrong with working for someone else and getting that steady paycheck and not being the one that's putting your capital at risk and all of those things. But a lot of uh, personalities are far more inspired to take the risk that's necessary to get the big rewards. But how did you work through, um, one, did that occur? Did that happen? Did you go through some of those emotions and those conversations? And then how did you get through it? And two, um, it was worth it, right? I mean, things are, you've had a lot of fun on this journey. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was most certainly worth it. And, and I think we feel, you know, pretty lucky to have been, uh, you know, afforded that opportunity to begin with. But when, when it comes to the risk piece, and, and to be fair, there could have been a large portion of this that was just sheer dumb luck and, and naivete kind of built into it. But 
you know, we, I think, I think what works a lot in our favor is like we're young. So the timeline's very long, which I think allows recovery from any sort of bumps in the road or any sort of um, you know unforeseen consequences of things. Uh, you know, the recovery time is is greater because I we're not worried about you know we need to be in a position for this to be successful in five years. You know, we knew that we might have to grind through and, and struggle with some stuff, and um, and that was just the nature of it. But the risk was there. I just don't know. I don't want to say we didn't care, but it was also one of these things where like, this is the moment where 30 years from now, when someone is like, oh, how did that ever happen? Like we get to kind of talk about being in the right place in the right time and then just doing it. Because I feel like people don't realize that those right places in the right times, I think come not a ton, but I think they happen more than people think, but you have to be willing to kind of seize the opportunity. And sometimes it is just a, you know, you just got to kind of take a swing type of a deal. And I think that's really what we were talking about. I mean, we, we had done our due diligence. We, we, you know, we have a, a wonderful attorney that Chris and I had known for a long time. And, and I think he really guided us a bit. Um, I know we had talked to like, you know, you and, and Jeff Avakwa in that matter and stuff. And um, I feel like you guys had our backs in some degrees too, in the sense that there was a mutual desire for this to be successful. But I mean, then it was just a matter of, you know, you have to take the leap. And and that was an area that I don't think Chris and I were overly bashful or, or concerned with in the sense that um, we did the due diligence. And I'm, I'm kind of someone who believes that if you are willing to put in the time and you're willing to do the work, I think people underestimate how much of an outcome they really control. Um, and that's just, and that was just, you know, what we were going to do. It didn't matter how or when it was just going to be, all hands on deck, as long as we needed to do it, you know, I, you know, we don't, I have a lot of energy, you know, like my RPM coach is always like, you're going at a thousand miles an hour all the time. And I think things like that, just, you know, yeah, the risk was there, but we'll just work around it. You know, it's a speed bump, but we'll figure it out. Tell our listeners what RPM is. RPM. So probably one of the greatest things that Cambridge does, real practice management. Shout out to Brian Weed and, and Ali Den Hartog, our, our wonderful coach, um, just really helps you get your house in order from top to bottom. And even if you think, oh, my practice is great and I'm doing well, I mean, it's not. There are problems, you know, put the ego to the side and, and take a look at how things are working. And for us coming in, um, coming into a structure that already existed and then trying I think to work through okay what do we potentially want to change or update or tweak I think it was incredibly valuable to kind of have experienced eyes who had seen it happen a few times and then just the general guidance of are we completely off base with this does this make sense in terms of you know being able to make sure that the infrastructure we were building uh you know was was sound and if we needed to tweak things we tweak it if it was fine and it worked then we would generally you know leave it alone yeah, I'm uh, really proud of our team. They do a great job of, I think, to your point, asking um, asking the questions, not leading the answers, right? Mm-hmm. And helping you uh, find those gaps that you might need to strengthen. So let's shift gears a minute. Your firm focuses on being a strong ally and an advocate for your clients. And by that, I mean other financial professionals. How do you feel that helps those financial professionals towards finding their own way and building their business. 
And how does it contribute to the success of your firm? Like what, this is a relationship business, but uh, mm-hmm. share with our listeners more about how you build in, um, you use the word had, we had your back and other people had your back as you were building, but you do the same for others. Talk about that. Yeah, I think one of the really, like one of the, the core ethos for us or what's really important is that, yeah, it is a relationship business. And as you know, advisors or financial professionals have relationship with their clients, you know, we kind of feel that there's that same standard for, for us. And I think uh, in kind of going through this whole process and, and figuring out what a lot of that meant, we always really struggled when it came to the whole value prop question, because, and my, personally, I think, I think value prop nine test out of 10 is, is a bunch of crap because, you know, you can write down a bunch of things that you might offer. Here's a bunch of bullet points of stuff we do, but in a lot of ways, it's, it's kind of all irrelevant in the sense that our goal or our purpose here is to be available and to be ready when an FP needs it and whatever it is that they need. And and sometimes I think we get eyes rolled or it's like, well, that's too much. And it's like, but at the same time, sometimes an FP just needs to call us and we need to have a conversation and they need to feel like there's someone who is, either uh, an ally or someone that's like, hey, I need you to give it to me straight. Let's let's do the whole devil's advocate thing. Um, but they need to feel like they can pick up the phone and have a conversation. And there is something more to that than just being, yeah, we offer succession planning or, you know, we have some marketing thing. Like there has to be a relationship there. So for us, it was always hard to define some of that because, I think a lot of our value was we'll be here when you need it for whatever you need. It, it doesn't necessarily need to fit in to some square, you know, box. It's just, you know, call us when, when you're struggling with stuff or when things aren't going well. And um, at the very least we'll have a conversation, maybe something more substantial comes out of it. But I think that for us was just the real big piece in terms of being there and being supportive in a way that's like, it doesn't necessarily have to be defined. It just is something that we are here when you need us. And then we'll kind of take each situation as it comes up and and figure out what we can do. So what does your, you want to continue to grow? Obviously you've got a long successful runway ahead of you. What does the ideal financial professional look like that joins the professional alliance? Is there an ideal client that you're, most attracted to adding to your team? I mean, that's another, that's another, not the easiest question sometimes. I mean, we like, the, as you can tell, and, and there's a lot of energy here. So I need, you know, the people that I think we're attracted to have to, you know, in some ways have to be, maybe they were a go-getter once and picking up the phone and talking to Chris and I is like, okay, wow, you've like rejuvenated us. Like, let's, let's go after it again, type of a thing. But um, you know, we, I think the age thing, you know, we look at it sometimes I worry because there's a serious lack of young financial professionals to kind of backfill stuff. And it's, and it's a real problem. Um, but to answer your question, I mean, advisors who are, who are hungry and, and maybe, you know, want to grow or, or want to continue to get better in some capacity. I don't think that we put a bunch of strings on these because nine times out of 10, it's like, let's pick up the phone and have a conversation because if, if we can kind of go back and forth and things flow well, and we're kind of on the same page, then yeah, maybe it makes sense for us to partner. And then, you know, we've had those conversations and we've had conversations where Chris is like, 
you know, he'll tell me, Hey, this, this isn't going to work. They just don't kind of gel. And then, you know, fine. But it's just good people, you know, good people that want to do good things and, and we can kind of get along and, and have some fun and stuff. But, you know, I think that's what we're most attracted to those, those types of things, people that can deal with the fact that, you know, Chris and I could be a lot, there's, there's a lot happening here. There's a lot of energy. There's a lot of, you know, uh, emotion and, and there's a lot of passion. So, um, I think, you know, again, beginning that relationship, talking on the phone is always an easy way to just figure it out. And then that's, you know, that's the barrier to entry. You will help and support anyone. Got it. So you and Chris are two of our youngest enterprise leaders. Talk about what it's like working with you. You um, acquired a team of individuals that were more seasoned uh, of various mm-hmm. different generations. Um, talk about what it was like to try to integrate yourself into that organization as the new leader and make some changes, right? You've gone through a really uh, interesting journey outside looking in from my perspective in encouraging people who are maybe really set in their ways to think about and consider doing things a little differently. And that is a lot about your generation and and how you see things. So talk about that. I think to be honest, I don't, it wasn't really the hardest of experiences in the sense that, you know, we just, again, it, it came down to building the relationships and talking to the advisors and, and, you know, Chris and I always used to agree. We, we'd have little wins at the beginning where you could solve a problem or, or at least show that there was proficiency to do something right. Which then I think allowed financial professionals to not feel like, okay, all of a sudden there was going to be a drop in like the very basic of things when it came to, to service. But then I think it was just, um, when you start building the relationships and start bringing like the energy to the table and, and a lot of that, I mean, we, we've learned a ton, you know, these are, are, you know, men and women who have done this for a very long time. You have different backgrounds, different perspectives. It's, it was very beneficial for us to be able to have conversations and learn about the way people would do stuff and why they would do things and and understand. And if we were, you know, if we had some things to, to interject or some thoughts, you know, maybe that would come up here or there, but th- I mean, there's been a ton that we've learned. And I think we've built good relationships because we've been able to have conversations and there has been give and take. They, they do a wonderful job. They take care of their clients and, and we want to make sure that we're able to do that for them the same way they are for their clients. So, you know, so that we're able to, to support them. So, I mean, I think we've learned a ton, you know, different perspectives and experiences, and it's been wonderful. Super key message. What I just heard for our, our listeners, particularly the ones that are younger and thinking about uh, breaking into an environment where some of your clients are going to be of um, generations that came before you, maybe an overused term, but what you're describing from my perspective is a little bit of a reverse mentoring role. And um, we can all learn from each other. And sometimes all generations have a little trouble with that, right? The older generations Mm -hmm. are like, oh, these guys don't know anything. They haven't been around. They're not willing to put in the time. These are things I hear from a lot of the older generations when they're trying to find a successor in particular. And then from the younger generations, they're going, oh, they don't want to change. They're resistant, you know, digging their heels Mm -hmm. to thinking about, you know, leveraging technology in different ways or, or those kinds of things. So just coming to the table, in my opinion, willing to use your words, learn from each other and collaborate is really the key to success. Well, there's there's a fascinating 
I think piece that you just mentioned there too, because I think what we tend to forget is we all have kind of grown up in our, uh, you know, uh, so in some ways products of our environment in the sense that, you know, a more seasoned financial professional grew up in an environment that was entirely different than, than mine, for example, in the sense that, you know, I might've been, I don't know, 14 years old when the internet came around, right? It, probably even younger than that. So in some ways, you know, when we talk about, uh, you know, the comment you just made about, you know, younger FPs not having maybe the patience or not willing to put in the time, it's like, well, put yourself in our shoes where we grew up in an environment where time was never a constraining thing. Like I can literally go Christmas shopping today and probably Amazon Prime everything and have it before Christmas is here. And that's the environment we've grown up in. Like, you, you know, you're streaming entire seasons worth of, of shows when they come out. You're not waiting week to week anymore. You're not waiting for a show you like going on a winter break and not having it for two months. So in some ways, while we, I think the younger generation need to put our shoes and be respectful of, of the older seasoned FPs in terms of what they've gone through, there needs to be a bit of reciprocity because we've only really ever known one thing. And then you have Gen Z coming behind me who that, I mean, they, they don't even know what a world without the internet is. So if, if you're in a position to bring on someone new or looking to bring on someone new, especially if you're looking to retire, I think a lot of focus needs to be paid to the fact that it seems very silly to me to want to replace yourself. You need to be looking forward to the fact that you need a more modern revolutionized version of what you are. The principles need to be there. You could make an argument on the execution. I don't think that that should be something that should matter that much, but you want the better version of yourself. And I think a lot of that starts with being able to understand, you know, that's how that FP did it because he came up in the 1980s and that's what you had to do to survive. Now we're in this day and age where you might alienate yourself and not have any succession opportunities if you're worried about someone not willing to put in the time because we, you know, we grew up in an environment where time wasn't, you know, I can get what I, what you want, what you want quickly. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think there needs to be a little bit more paid to the fact that, you know, looking at it through one lens, I think would make it very challenging because it's the world, you know, right. And then I grew up in an entirely different one. So I think you gotta, you gotta be careful with that. You know, it's a double-edged sword. And I think paying attention to both sides is, is really important. Yeah. Bill's the strongest model. I couldn't agree more. Um, you touched on something I want to just follow up on a little bit. I think a lot of the FPs that you work with are continue for the moment to run their business as solos with you as support. Mm -hmm. um, do you, how do you approach succession planning uh, for them? I mean, clearly the whole industry has this challenge, right? Those mm -hmm. solos that uh, were fiercely independent and started their own business by themselves, and maybe they have a support team, but there isn't a successor in the model yet. And they need one at some point sooner rather than later, because it takes a lot of years to build that synergy mm -hmm. that we're just talking about. Um, how do you approach that with your solo FPs? How do you, are you guys, their succession plan? Are you helping them find one? It can be a bit of a challenge um, because I do think that I think each F FP potentially wants to have something different. And, and I think what we try to do, or at least what we've done thus far, is instead of focusing on you as the financial professional, I think the important thing to focus on is the relationships with the clients 
and kind of how that whole piece is rather than I do my stuff this way, you know, I handle this because there are going to be different ways to approach all of that. But at the end of the day, as long as I think the way that end clients are impacted um, doesn't change negatively, right? So you could have someone come in who does, you know, maybe more or enhances the experience, but at the very least, if we're keeping the experience the same, I think we try to focus on what do we want the clients to feel and not focus so much on, you know, I need someone who's going to check all these boxes because again, Chris and I have these conversations and it can be challenging. You don't want a carbon copy of yourself. You need a better version of what you are. You created and you built, you need someone who's going to take things to the next level. And that's going to require a, a, an evolution on what you were as a financial professional. So I think we try to spend a lot of time focusing on what's the experience, what's the environment, the impact going to be the client, right? Keeping that as um, similar or building upon that as we can, and then beginning to look at who would actually be the succession plan. Um, I think we have some FPs that look at, at Chris and I as options. Uh, you know, we'll, I think, approach each one of those as they come and, and, and see how it is. But um, I think just focusing on the impact to the client, right? And then how that affects experience being something that we try to look at first and then take a look at, okay, is there someone that we can introduce you to that can at the very minimum keep that the same and then begin to elevate it, you know, so that it, it's successful and, and, you know, your clients and are taken care of and then, you know, hopefully, you know, their children and, and extended families and the younger generations and, and all that. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's very important in this kind of thoughtful contemplation about the future of one's business, not using your words, you don't want to replicate yourself. You want to find somebody that takes it to the next level and taking that just a step deeper is and has the skill sets that you don't have, depending mm -hmm. on the time frame that the original entrepreneur is going to stay in the business, it may not be that they're turning it over in the next two years. Therefore, um, they almost need to focus more on what they don't have. And, and together, mm -hmm. they will figure out how to plug in um, you know, the full succession plan. We find in most cases, those businesses have become so successful over time that no longer can one person take it to the next level anyway. Sure. So you're going to replace yourself with more than one person over time. Would you agree? Yeah. And, and I think if that's where the tract is in terms of how you ultimately see your practice or want to build something out, uh, 100%, right? It gets to the point where a one-man shop might not cut it anymore, but then you get to see what that brings your clients in terms of different people coming in, different skill sets, different things that they're good at. And now you get to the point where you're creating, you know, very sticky relationships in terms of, um, you know, client retention, because the, the experience that's provided, you know, is, is something that's phenomenal. Fantastic. Thanks. Uh, so shifting gears a little bit again, we talked earlier when we were talking about your journey and how you got into the business. Um, about where you started, and you shared with us that you learned a lot about things like compliance, supervision, and operations. One of my favorite books, and a book that helped me, um, and you may you may not have read it, but you don't have to. You'll get the concept just from this brief um, intro into the question, is What Got You Here Won't Get You There. It's by somebody by the name of Marshall Goldsmith, 
and the concept's pretty straightforward, right? There are things that we learn that get us to where we are today that my words, not Mr. Goldsmith's words necessarily, but I, um, you almost have to unlearn to take it to the next level. You can't just keep building on the skills that originally got you to where you are today. So let's talk about how you approach that in your career. What did you learn during your time in those areas that you still apply today? And were there any things that you recognized as you were moving into more of an entrepreneurial role that you're in today, building your own business that you had to stop putting so much focus on that got in your way or built obstacles? This is a good one. Um, so I think having the experience that we had between ops and compliance and supervision, uh, I think it allowed us to, I think, especially right at the beginning of things, um, I think it allowed us to, to kind of build the easy part of the relationship where we had like we knew, uh, you know, we kind of knew what we were doing in terms of we had dealt with FINRA audits, we had dealt with SEC audits at the firm level. So in some ways, there was, uh, you know, we kind of had this predisposed nature to certain things when it came to compliance and supervision. So a lot of our time didn't really have to be invested there, in the sense that um, it was something that we, you know, a skill set that we kind of already had and having those conversations with advisors, I think talking about rationales, kind of going a bit deeper than just, oh, we're doing this because, you know, th there were some other explanations, which, which I think ultimately helped. Um, I think having the exposure to that, I, I think kind of helped us in the beginning when it came to, like us talk about those small wins, just being able to get some stuff done. And that again was just kind of, you know, like the icebreaker, right? That allowed us to show that uh, the level of, of service and skill wasn't going to deplete. But then, like you say, we couldn't hang our hat on that forever. It wasn't going to be like, oh, you know, we're the enterprise you can come to where compliance and supervision isn't going to be, you know, we can explain all that stuff. Because at the end of the day, it serves its purpose, but that only then goes so far. So while initially that was something that, um, you know, uh, again, I think it was small wins. We needed to then figure out, okay, how are we going to take it to the next level where we have these relationships? We have people who, who trust us now. They, they put faith in us. Where are we going to continue to go when it comes to, you know, the additional, I guess, value relationship and, and all of that. And that's, you know, that's an evolutionary process. I know that there are things that we don't do well right now that, that we're trying to work on. And I think that there are things that we, you know, that, that we do well, but it's always, um, it's always, I think, an evolution in, in terms of staying relevant and, and adding value beyond, you know, maybe what we, what we built it on or, or how it was, how our foundation was laid, because I think we've had this conversation, maybe not you and me personally, but we've had it certainly at Cambridge events before relating to like compliance and supervision is a thing that you can hang your hat on. And I think we're even getting to the point now where value prop is beginning to get to the point where like, that's not a thing that you can even hang your hat on again, because I think it's just a very arbitrary list of stuff. It's like, you, like, it's like, you know, you're going to get to a point where the next generation of, a, of financial professional is going to be looking at that being like, okay, that's a bare minimum. And like, what else? So now it gets to the point where it's like, what experience are we providing to the financial professional rather than just a list of stuff that they may or may not ever need, right? Because I wanna make sure that when stuff happens in 
you know, there's questions, concerns, things have gotten flipped upside down. It's just like, oh, it doesn't matter. We're just going to pick up the phone and call, you know, Chris and Zach and the team and we'll get stuff done. That's, I think, to the level we want to get, not like, oh, you know, well, they do succession playing stuff so we can give them a call. It's there. It has to be evolutionary in, in that regard. So perfect segue to where I want to go next. Um, a financial professional asking the question to themselves, what do they want from their relationship? The what else is the word you just used. So you're a member of our tech advisory council. Not surprisingly, as you said, the internet, you know, you've, you've lived your life with technology that provides answers at the touch of a finger on a device of some sort. Um, talk about how you leverage technology in your organization to serve your industry, the financial professionals. I know you and Chris have spent a lot of time really trying to put a package together that makes sense for you and those aligned with you to run business efficiently and effectively in, into the future, right? Mm -hmm. Um, you're, you're very tech savvy, if you will, to use an old term. So talk, talk about how that works. Talk about how that serves your advisors. Well, I think that's the name of the game, right, is is you don't leverage technology to replace the relationship. You leverage the technology to make it more efficient in the sense that, you know, when we acquire TBA, for, for example, right, there were a lot of things there that were, you know, our CRM was, was an Excel spreadsheet. And it's like, okay, this isn't going to be like sustainable going forward. I mean, it's not sustainable if you had 20 reps. It sure as hell not going to be sustainable if you had 150. So, if anything, it becomes a matter of, you know, figuring out and focusing on what the experience for the the client or an arc, you know, the, whether it's end client or financial professional is going to be, and then how do we leverage technology to help us with that, you know, enhance that, but then allow us to be efficient, I guess, in in that whole process. Because when it when it comes to a lot of the stuff that we want to do from a communication perspective or any sort of, um, you know, anything really, right? We want technology to kind of do a lot of the heavy lifting because we know that we're going to be spending time kind of having the human to human part of it. And if we're not doing the human to human stuff, how then can we use technology to allow us to free up more time to be doing the human to human piece? So when it, yeah, when it comes to technology, it's, it's any of that. Like, you know, Chris and I, you know, I joke because Chris doesn't necessarily do this as much as I do, but I'm the like the king of the free trial. Like, let's do it. Let's try this thing, see what it is. If it's great, awesome. If, if, if it's not, you know, cancel, whatever. I mean, it happens all the time. Um, Allie hates me because we talk about technology. I'm like, oh, look at this, look at this, you know. Um, it's funny because Michael Kitsis has a great graph or chart that's like, you know, financial services technology. And there's, I don't know, like a hundred different things on there. And it's all over the map, but it's just trying to figure out, you know, learn as much as we can about these so that when we talk to advisors and have conversations and we kind of pick up on maybe what's frustrating or what's a struggle, it's like, hey, maybe we can look at this. Maybe this allows us and then be there to help and support them because while, again, looking at the generational thing, my generation technology is is almost second nature, right? Like no one is afraid to, to, to try new things, to, to use new stuff because we're used to it. But I think someone who might not be as good with technology or maybe they grew up, yeah, technology was changing, but it wasn't so, you know, interpersonal and maybe connected to everything. You know, it can be a lot to all of a sudden then trust that this, you know, machine or this computer program is going to do these things 
without my oversight and without me having control over everything. And then all of a sudden it's, it's just going to work. So I think we do spend some time talking about that and, and kind of coaching through that process and maybe doing some stuff together and giving feedback on things we've seen because we talk to so many advisors and, and we have a lot within our enterprise who are always looking to grow and all that. And as you can imagine, there, there comes a point in time and, and I think it's getting better where you're not going to be able to serve a certain number of clients the way that you want to serve them because you just have too much going on. So if you're looking to grow or looking to enhance something, then, okay, how can we potentially use technology to automate and kind of speed up or, or, or make some processes better that you might not really need to have hands on? Um, and I think that's, you know, what we look at with technology and how we try to leverage it, you know, as best we can. Um, and we lean on, again, we lean on Cambridge a lot. Um, you know, Jim Silvers and Matt Denhartog talk to a lot of our FPs about how tech can integrate. And again, you know, how you can save time doing an address change, because instead of having to do it in five places, you know, you can do it once, right? And then if things are integrated, okay, boom, you know, maybe a day goes by, but now it's all done, right? That's one less like administrative thing that you're wasting time on. So it is important. And, and technology is a huge piece. And, and I love it because I'm a big tech guy. So it's, you know, exploring and learning all that stuff is right up my alley. Yeah, we appreciate your contributions. And believe me, nobody um, uh, takes offense whatsoever to you and others challenging us to look at things um, because that's what builds, you know, the way you were talking about compliance and supervision or operations being, um, again, my words, not yours, but somewhat table stakes as it relates to value prop. Mm -hmm. technology platforms are table stakes for most of our firms as well, at least for the next generation of advisors. But I see it every day uh, on advisors that are my own age, where they are taking for granted that you can offer them the ability to scale their business, whether they're a solo or an ensemble, or in your case, even in an enterprise, as an enterprise, you've got to use technology to scale to your point, and um, it's important. The trick is in this independent space, making sure you use the word integration, right? We got to be able to integrate, but still allow you choice, mm -hmm. so that you can go on to a Kitsis, um, you know, whatever you see. Usually, most people see him on social media, but um, his blogs or whatever, and and be able to go, hey, I want to try that. Well, that whatever you try, you still want it to integrate. Otherwise, you're just creating more friction and you know those kinds of things. So it's great to have people like you helping us make sure that we're keeping up with what's out there. Zach, I know you were a goaltender for a while on a men's soccer team during college. And one of the things our listeners love the most is hearing and understanding that there are there is more to our financial professionals' lives than just business. So share with us more about what soccer means to you. Do you still play soccer? Um, or if not, do you follow the sport closely? And what else do you do in your personal life? Soccer. I mean, yeah, soccer is my life. Ask Megan. You know, it's like Saturday, Sunday, whatever, Tuesday, Wednesday. It's There's always soccer on, always doing, you know, always watching. Um, I did I did play and, and still do. I've been a little lazy about it now because COVID's made things a bit of a challenge in terms of, you know, like what uh you know sports can be played based on you know what's considered like close contact and all this stuff but um i mean absolutely soccer is probably one of the things that i am the most passionate about or certainly at the top of that list um 
And I mean, it's been that way ever since, I don't know, I think I started playing when I was like eight or nine years old. I was not good at any other sports. Like I sucked at everything else. And then um, I had some friends who did this soccer thing and I wasn't very good at that either until someone put me in net and then they were like, okay, well, your job is to, you know, prevent the ball from going in. And, and if you knew me growing up, you know, I was not a stellar athlete. You know, I was kind of a scrawnier kid, uh, you know, have, I wear contacts, so I had glasses at the time. And um, it was just a, you know, playing goalie was just a place that I really felt at home. Um, and, and, you know, I, I enjoyed, um, played at UMass very briefly, ended up actually pivoting there and played rugby at UMass for three years, but, um, that was, that was a lot. So I, soccer was much easier to kind of go back to and, and everything. Um, but that's, I mean, that's a huge piece. And then, you know, outside of that, um, I think, as you know, I've had the pleasure of, of, you know, I met my fiance a few years ago now and um, did not know anything about what the vet, the veterinary medicine world looked like at all. So that has been uh, a roller coaster in terms of, you know, I, I met her six months before she uh, started her, her residency uh, at Angel in, in Boston. And, um, you know, there's been, a, I've had a lot of joy, I think, supporting her through that, because let me tell you, it's an experience. I think it's, it's a lot on, on them in terms of what's expected and, and what's required and the mental and physical fatigue. So, um, you know, I've tried to really make it a priority to make life for her outside of the hospital kind of as, as easy as possible. You know, she had a, a board exam that she was studying before she's, she's got a, another one that she's doing it. So, you know, we're, we're at the lights at the end of the tunnel in the sense that, you know, the, the training is, is almost done and we get to move back to Boston next summer and, and she gets to, you know, be uh, quote unquote, a real doctor, even though she's been one forever, but you know, the, all that other stuff is behind her. So, um, it's just been a lot of that, you know, we got, we got a crazy pit bull at home. We got two cats. Um, so life is just kind of, you know, hanging out with them and, you know, we, we enjoy the, you know, Columbus has been fun. There's, there's some great food and there's some, some, you know, great bars and drinking there and stuff too. So, you know, we just, we've enjoyed kind of spending time together, especially the last, you know, kind of what, 18 months now where things have been a little bit stranger than than they have so um you know that's what I think kind of helps even things out but we're still in the grind stage of this whole thing too so you know I know that the balance will come a little bit later we're I think we're still kind of working through trying to get to a place where the enterprise is um at least close to where we want it to be uh so you know work-life balance is there and it's just Sometimes it's nice to just sit at home on Saturday and watch some sports and hang out with the animals on the couch. And, you know, it's fine by me. Yeah, that sounds great. It's always important for us to try to transmit the message to our listeners that there is uh, time, assuming that you enjoy it, to plug something in besides business. Oh, of course. I think we we come across to the outside world, maybe um, to younger people who are just in school trying to figure out what they want to do as a really stodgy, boring, you know, bunch of workaholics. And uh, so I always like to make sure they hear from each one of you that there, there is a light if you want another part of life involved in, mm -hmm. um, in, in building your journey. So 
Zach, thanks for joining me. Um, you're a, a great example of Cambridge Stronger. I appreciate you spending time sharing with our listeners. Is there anything I did not ask you that I should have that you think our listeners can get value from? Um, here, you know what? I'll throw something out there because I think you ask this fairly frequently. And I think um, while I know Cody and, uh, and Mike were, were younger guys too, I think when it comes to you know, maybe my two cents for younger folks looking to get into this business, right? I think one of the biggest things for me, and I think something that Chris and I kind of pride ourselves in a little bit, and I think it comes at the expense of, you know, like you guys and Allie, because we always want to do things our way is um, my two cents on, on advice for someone is, you know, don't, don't make sacrifices for who you are, or what you believe in, because you think it's, it's going to be necessary to fit in. You know, I, I think that there are a lot of old school ways that things are done. And I think, you know, people view it as, uh, you know, as financial advisors potentially being a lot of, you know, squares and circles. And I would just challenge folks to, you know, be yourself because I think you being different, doing things different, thinking about things differently is it's going to stand out. It's going to be a very powerful weapon for you. It's going to be something that I think people really, especially the younger generations really kind of coalesce around because, there's an appreciation for, for people being different and thinking, thinking about things differently. So just don't, don't sacrifice who you are because you think you need to do that to pay your dues along this, you know, journey to become an advisor. That's not, no, that's, that's not the way this works. Be you. Cause it's, it's going to be one of the, I think one of the, one of the strongest, you know, assets uh, about you and your firm. And the strongest part about our business, I think there's a lot of openings. I couldn't agree more with that sage advice that you're giving there, that there is room in our business for all shapes and sizes because the investing public that needs financial professionals come in all shapes mm -hmm. and sizes, and they're going to resonate with somebody that is more like them, whatever that may be as an old person. Um, our, our business has grown a lot. Thank you for tuning in to Cambridge Stronger. I invite you to listen to my podcast episodes where I have candid conversations with genuine inspirational financial professionals and leaders within this fiercely independent financial services industry. The best of the best, the strongest of the strongest. You can listen to my podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, iHeartRadio, and the Podbean app.